your Bibles to Genesis 25. Can you believe we're almost halfway done? That's pretty crazy. Genesis is 50 chapters. That's a long book. Genesis 25. And I was going to preach the whole chapter, but I got good news for you. I ain't doing that. Uh, no, just because obviously there's a lot of material there, especially in the second half of the chapter, and that deserves its own message. Um, these verses that we'll be looking at, obviously, are concerning the end of Abraham's life. And as one commentator says, it's really connective tissue. In other words, to set up the next uh, major scene in Genesis, which is the life of Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob. So that's, this is the setup. But it's in the word of God, and as much as I kept saying to God, can I skip this, apparently he said no. So we are, we are going to learn some things from this, this passage this morning uh, by the grace of God. Let's stand together for the reading of the first two pericopes of Genesis 25. Yeah, see, so now you know even pastors wrestle with that. Hear the word of God to you this morning. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimron, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Letrashites, and the Lemuelites. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Elda. All these were descendants of Keturah. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. But while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age. An old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zoar the Hittite the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son, Isaac, who then lived near Birlahai Roy. This is the account of Abraham's son, Ishmael, whom Sarah's maidservant, Hagar the Egyptian, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael listed in the order of their birth. Nobiath, the firstborn of Ishmael. Kedar, Adbeel, Midbasim, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jeter, Nafish, and Kadermah. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these are the names of the 12 tribal rulers according to their settlements and camps. Altogether, Ishmael lived 137 years. 
He breathed his last and died, and he was gathered to his people. His descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur, near, near the border of Egypt, as you go toward Asher. And they lived in hostility toward all their brothers. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and our word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Forgive me for butchering those names, but boy, those were hard. I know how it feels, right? So, <laughs> for those of you who know me. Um, but I definitely gave it my best shot. Well, as we look at this text, um, I did a lot of reflection as I looked at these verses. And for those of us who have gone through the book of Genesis, well, let me just say this. Obviously, Abraham is a huge, looming figure throughout both the Old and the New Testaments. God is known from, from here on through the rest of the history of redemption to this day. He is the God of who? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And in the New Testament, I don't need to tell you how important he is, as Jesus even uh, tells us and Paul tells us, that he is the father of all who believe. Not just the Jews, and obviously the Jews who believe, but the father of all believers. So he's just this huge figure. And now we've, when we were first introduced to him, it's very interesting, um, I didn't see this at first. When we first met Abraham in, in uh, Genesis chapter 12, he was 75 years old. Now I always say that to folks who think they're in retirement. Guess what? Abraham didn't start till he was 75. And if we go on to Exodus, you're gonna find out neither did Moses. So God has a way of saying, you think you're done? We're just getting started. So Abraham was 75 when God called him to leave his people in his homeland and go to the land that he would later show him. And we, we learn in the Bible that by faith, Abraham just simply did so. He left not even knowing where he would go because he obeyed the word of the Lord. He was a man of faith. And the neat thing, and this is, even though I've studied Genesis before, for some, for some reason, maybe because I'm preaching through it, um, it seems to me that I kind of lived life with him in a sense. In a sense, I tracked with him throughout all of his ups and his downs. And they seemed to hit me harder than they had in the past. So in other words, we were with him together as we studied this, this wonderful book and the account of his life. We were with him when he made those firm steps of faith. And we cheered him on. And we were encouraged by his faith. And we said, man, God help me be like that. But we were also with him when he made a couple missteps. You with me? We were with him when he did some things that no doubt when he looked back in his life he was a little embarrassed. I don't know about you, but I got too many of those. Well, we see Abraham was a man just like us, a human. And yet he was a human who was saved by the grace of our Lord and of our God. And he may thank God for his grace. And I don't think we always realize how intense and important and incredible God's grace is. But certainly we see it, we saw it in the life of Abraham. We groaned with him, we groaned with Sarah as they waited, think about this, 30 years for the promised son. We watched as it seemed like their hope just flitted away because Abraham, um, because Sarah's womb was closed and it was humanly impossible for her to have a son. 
We smarted along with them when God gently rebuked them because they decided to take matters in their own hands. Maybe you remember this. And Sarah said, hey, look, it's, it's over for me. Why don't you take my handmaid, Hagar? And maybe it's through that child that God will bless. Bless you and make a nation out of you. And then bless the rest of the world. We were there when God had to gently rebuke them and say, no, they could go that way. But we were also there. Listen, this is important. We were there when Abraham stood on the, on the mountain. This was, this was a heavy thing for me and I, for hopefully for you too as well. Make you think about this. When he stood there overlooking Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember this? And he saw the smoke rising from the judgment of God on sin. We were there when he witnessed that and he had to praise the God who is not only merciful but is also just. And then we are told, we were told in Genesis that he was told to teach his children the way of the Lord. So they wouldn't go that way, but they'd go the way of those who trust and obey. Then it wasn't all sadness. We, we laughed with delight with him when God kept his promise and miraculously granted them supernaturally a son. And so Isaac, he laughs. Remember that? There was such rejoicing in tent city. They all came to see this wonder. How could this 90-year-old woman give birth to a son? Then we were there. Look, there's a lot of ups and downs. This is so real, isn't it? It's so real life. And it just made me say that, you know, the Bible doesn't keep these things from us. It tells us exactly like it is. It tells, it, tells us the way it is. We were there when we saw Abraham have the sympathy pains. Or we had sympathy pains with him when he had the, the, the pain of having to cast his son Ishmael out. Remember his wife said, cast out the slave woman and her son, for they will not share, he will not share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. And you remember Abraham's immediate response to God? Remember what, God said, what Abraham said? He said, oh Lord, that Ishmael would have your blessing. And you remember God lovingly comforted him, said, don't worry, I will bless Ishmael. He will have his own, he will, I will build him into a great nation. But it's through who? Isaac. That your offspring will be reckoned. And Abraham had to, by faith, have thine own way, Lord. It's pretty real, isn't it? Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. That's biblical Christianity. And who could forget some 12 years later or so his son Isaac, finally the promised son, growing up, growing strong, probably between 10 and 12 years old. Little did he realize, he pretty much figured out, oh, all that's behind me. And God says, oh, Abraham, by the way, you know the son you love? Your only son? The one I said your offspring will be reckoned through? I want you to go offer him as a burnt sacrifice, a burnt offering. Talk about the greatest test of your life. The son he waited 30 years for. Well, we jump for joy. <laughs> You're kind of at the edge of your seat. We jump for joy to see that Abraham did what? He passed. 
He didn't quabble with God. He didn't wrestle with God. He didn't ask why God. He just got up early in the morning and he went right to it. Remember that? And we were there when he learned the most important promise and truth in literally the whole Bible for us sinful fallen people. He said it by faith and then he saw it in experience. How incredible is this? The Lord himself will provide the sacrifice. The lamb, excuse me, for the sacrifice. And he looked over. There's a lamb, a ram, caught in the thicket without blemish. God provided for his sin and the sin of his son and his family. Last week, you witnessed the great efforts he took to make sure that his son Isaac found a godly, suitable wife who would come from his own clan, not from the wicked nations around them that would turn um, his heart away from the living God into idolatry, right? Pete taught on that last week, correct? Yes. I can see a little quizzical up. They go, uh-oh, yeah, okay, good, that's good. Well, now we've come to the account of his last years and of his death, the death of Abraham. In verses 1 to 11, we learn that Abraham had a second wife named Keturah, with whom he had six more children. <laughs> Boy, he was the father of a lot of children, wasn't he? <laughs> Literally and spiritually. And from his children, we saw that there, God rose up many other people groups. So in a physical sense, he wasn't only the father of the Israelites, he was the father of many other nations. In the physical sense. Even though God's special blessing was upon Isaac and the Jewish people, and then, of course, the Christ who would come from the Jewish people. Now, what's interesting here, I'm not a big math guy, and I don't usually follow, you know, who he was this old when this happened, but I think it's important to see this. He was 140 years old when he started his second family. 140. And what I want you to see is it says he lived to 175. So, you know, let's put some math together. That means his second marriage was 35 years long. Now, I say that because my wife and I have been married 30. And it does seem like we've, there's a lot, we've done a lot of things in, three, uh, in 30 years, right? We've been alive through together through these decades and a lot of life was lived there's been a lot of memories a lot of joys a lot of sorrows a lot of triumphs through God's grace so Abraham had 35 years with this new family it wasn't a short thing when he finally leaves this world into the next think about this it's an entire century after he was first called to leave his homeland a hundred years. That's some crazy stuff. So now in this chapter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Moses tells us a little bit about Abraham's last years. And remember, Moses wrote this book. A little bit about his death and introduces us to the, the main character and characters in the next chapter of Genesis. Isaac and Jacob. So as I pointed out, chapter 25 is made up of three sections or three acts, 
we could say, in the play, so to speak. But we're going to be dealing only with the first two, and the second, uh, the second section we'll deal with very briefly. But this is what we're going to see, very briefly. We're going to see the end of a life well lived, a life of faith, a life that was a testimony to the sovereign grace and mercy of the one true God who keeps every last one of his promises. That's what we're going to see. We're going to see Abraham's testimony, a life well lived, a life of faith, that was a testimony to the sovereign grace and mercy of the one true God who keeps every one of his promises. So we're going to take a look at the first thing, and that's the testimony of passing on the inheritance to the son of God's choice. That's what we're going to see. Abraham passing on the torch to his son Isaac. Now, as we see that, I don't know about you, but you, I don't think you could miss, even through a cursory brief reading of chapter 25, I don't think you could look at it without noticing how the Holy Spirit, the real author of Genesis, through Moses, takes great pains to make it abundantly clear over and over that Isaac is the clear heir of the covenant promises made to Abraham. God has chosen him to be the promised child through whom God would keep all of his promises to, now listen to this, to his friend, Abraham. We saw that in other sermons, that God called Abraham his friend. Now in verses 1 to 11, as I mentioned, you see his second wife. He had six more children with them. They, had, they were the heads of other people groups. But what we need to see in the text is that although Abraham cared for those other children, and I'm glad that the word of God points that out to us, he gave gifts, it says, to, his, to the sons of his concubines, meaning Keturah and Hagar. So he gave gifts to his sons, his children, while he was living. But nevertheless, when he died, what did he do? He left everything he owned. To who? To Isaac. To make it abundantly clear, this is my undisputed heir. And notice also another point in the text, before I start waxing eloquently or not so eloquently. Notice what he did. He sent his other children away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Verse 6. Now once again, why did Abraham do this? So that there would be no tension between the sons, there'd be no commingling or mixing, there'd be no rivalry between his other sons and Isaac. And also so that he could set apart for himself a people, holy unto himself, that would have a special covenant blessing. Why, why I say that and why, you know, I didn't see this at first and I'm kind of like, wow, what am I going to preach about this? Well, then it really jumped out at me by the grace of God. These were actions, clear actions of faith. In other, word, in other words, Abraham clearly displayed by this, one of his last acts of his life, that he agreed with the word of the Lord, that no matter how he felt, hello? No matter what the world said, no matter what his wife said, he was going to follow the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord was, it's Isaac. 
through whom you, I will bless you and keep all my promises to you. And remember, Abraham was human like you and me. And look, he took care of his other kids when he was alive. He had emotions and feelings, and yet he submitted himself to, listen, this is important, the gospel. Didn't he? His faith was in the God of all grace. And he trusted in him even when he maybe didn't understand all the reasons why God does what he does. But he knew God is the judge of all the earth. Remember what he said earlier? And he shall do what is right. More than that, he knew God was gracious. And he was good. And is good. So he knew that Ishmael would be a nation in his own right. He knew his other sons would be leading and starting other people groups. But he knew Isaac was the one. So Derek, so he sends the sons of Keturah away to, and it's interesting, this is going to get really cool. He sends them away to the east. And I read this, I don't have many quotes from other people this morning, but I found this quote from Derek Kidner. He's a, he's a great expositor, and a British expositor. And he says this about sending the sons away. Listen, this is exciting. In God's plan, these sons were sent away that there might be a true home in the end to return to. I see some quizzical looks, so I'm going to explain that. In other words, these sons were set away, sent away so that God could create a holy nation and keep them separated for himself, the Israelites, so that later they would bless, the Israelites would be a blessing to even the sons of Keturah, in other words, their, their descendants. And here's, here's the thing that I, as we read this, we've got to remember we're reading the beginning. Do you know there's also hope for Ishmael's descendants? Who are Ishmael's descendants? Let me get crazy. You know who they are, right? The Arabs. Didn't know that, did you? Some of you. In the Middle East. Who was the hope of the Arabs? Jesus the Christ. The promised son who came, who was born of David. Line, a son of Abraham. Don't believe me? Well, I got one quote for you, and it's such a cool one. Isaiah 66. You know, some people are, you know, nerds about computers. I, I get, I'm a Bible nerd, and I hope you are too, to be honest with you. So, Isaiah 60, beginning in verse 6, prophecy from the prophet Isaiah, he says this Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of, wait for it, Midian and Ephah. Hey, where have we heard those names? And all from, watch out, Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All Keter's flocks will be gathered to you. The rams of, wow, Nebaioth will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar, and I will adorn my glorious temple. Recognize any of those names? The sons of, and the sons and the grandsons of who? Keturah. And this is really exciting. They will come to Zion, because that's the context of uh, Isaiah 60. And they will worship Zion's king. And now I got goosebumps. You see where they're coming from? The east, 
You know any story in the New Testament where people come from the East and they bring gold and incense? The Magi, when Jesus was two. Wise men came from the East. Where is the sun that we might come to worship? So even in his justice and in his severity, even when he is punishing other nations or excluding them for a time, it's all part of a big plan so that he can include all nations. God always has a plan. And that's why today we can preach the gospel and we're called to preach the gospel to people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And so you can be an Arab, and if you believe in Jesus, you are a son of Abraham or a daughter. That's great news. All right, I got way ahead of myself, so I got to get back to the text. But that was just too good to keep to myself. Right now, I just want to uh, bring us back to this as we, we see the life of Abraham as, he, as his life winds down. He prepares for death. He makes decisions informed by the word of God, by faith. And then Abraham, I mean Moses, excuse me, highlights this fact in verse 11. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Beer Lahai Roy. That's what I was saying earlier. You notice Moses keeps pointing this out. So you can, Pastor, why do you keep repeating this? Because Moses is repeating it. It's there. So the whole thread running through verses 1 to 11 is unmistakable. Isaac, and then we'll see his son Jacob, and then his sons would be the focus from now on, listen, would be the focus throughout the rest of the book of Genesis, the whole rest of half of it, of God's sovereign, gracious, covenant love. Now God's going to zero in, and we're going to see his interaction and how it plays out for the good of all nations, starting with Isaac and Jacob. So that's the first thing. Second thing, shorter point, but just as poignant, we're going to see the testimony of the end of a life lived by faith. And I'm sure when we read this, some of you would hit you the way it hit me, verses 7 and 8. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man, and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. Do you know who, of whom else that was said at the end of his life? You may not know. Job. And the interesting thing, Abraham and Job lived about the same time, scholars believe. Quite different paths, and yet both were men of what? Faith. They trusted God even when their world seemed to make no sense, humanly speaking. And yet look at how they were blessed. And in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, you do see more material blessing as a sign sometimes of God's blessing. And so you see a long and a full life. And that means, let me, let me just give you the short of it, that means both quality and quantity. In other words, they lived a long time, but their lives were full. They were full of real life. You know, the kind of life where Jesus says, the thief has come to steal and to rob and to murder. I've come to give what? Give life and give it more what? Abundantly. See, that's the world's lie is, God wants to keep you from having real life. 
having real joy. See, if you just get what you want, then you're going to be happy. And the Bible says, be careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. But not Abraham. He experienced, even through his flaws and times of missteps, overall he experienced the quality of life of, of those who trust in Messiah to come, and in our case, Messiah who has come, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's a song by a band called King's X that I really like their music. Um, I don't always recommend their lyrics, but I do like the music. But there's one line in, that is very sobering and it's very haunting in one of their songs called Flies and Blue Skies. Don't ask. But I will tell you the line that hits me. And upon my father's death, it really hit me. There is life and there is death. And the difference between either one is one single breath. And I thought it was profound. I wasn't able to be there when my dad. breathed his last. God granted him a, a long life in relative terms of the length of life in our day and age. But just like that, one second he was breathing and the next there was no breath. He was gathered to his people. And indeed, we mourned. So just like that, Abraham's story on this side of glory was over. And there's a reason I point this out. I mean, the text points it out, but I want to bring it to your attention. That even Abraham, God's specially loved friend, saved by his grace, can't escape the consequences of being a son of Adam. And that means in this life we still see. If you ever wonder if your sin matters. If God cares. All you have to think about is death. And you realize. It wasn't such a little thing. And it reminds us of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of the one who was willing to breathe his last so we could have life eternal. No question. And so we see on the, the, the really exciting part of this, for the man of faith and for all of his spiritual children after him who live by faith, not by sight, who trust in the Son born of a woman, the Lord Jesus Christ, when life ends... This is the good news for believers. It is not the end of the story. And I love that Jesus uses this example for the Sadducees who denied the resurrection from the dead and they only believed in the first five books of Moses so they believed in Genesis so Jesus decided he's going to quote from Genesis. He says, well, you're saying there's no resurrection from the dead? Have you not read? What the scripture says. He says, you're ignorant of your own scriptures. It says, doesn't God say, I am the God of what? Of, Ibra of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the what? The living. 
So right now, as we speak, Abraham is way happier than you or me. He's in the presence of the Lord. And all those mess-ups that he had, God has forgiven him completely through his son. And he knows that by experience. He's with the lamb that God provided. And notice, this is very interesting. Verse 9, his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zoar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. Now, did you ever notice? This really hit me too. Did you ever notice that there are some relatives, the only time you see them, you know where I'm going with this, is at funerals. Right? It's like, oh, cousin, so, yeah, we need to get together. That ain't happening. You know, it ain't happening. Well, you want to talk about strange bedfellows. The death, out of respect for their common father, you have both Isaac and Ishmael at the grave. Talk about it. it want to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. But Abraham's death brought them together, even though they were at odds. They laid aside their differences. They carried out their father's wishes. And here's the powerful thing. What was his wish? Abraham's wish, again, even in his death, he wanted to testify to the grace of God and that there is another life that is more important than, than this life, the life that will last forever. And he says, bury me where? In the promised land. I want to be buried with my, the, the, the love of my life, and I want everybody to know that my hope is not in this world. My hope is in the life of the world to come. And I, that's why I quoted that verse from Hebrews 11, because that was refer, earlier in the service. It was referring to Abraham, who was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is who? God. And even in his death, he's proclaiming that hope. I think that's powerful. So even in his closing chapter, he points ahead to the hope of life, the life of the world to come we have in Jesus. Very reminiscent to the stanza of the song we're about to sing in a few moments. My Jesus, I love thee. It goes like this. I love thee in life, and I will love thee in death. I will praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say when the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I love thee. My Jesus, it's now. You think you love Jesus now? You're going to be loving him after this light when you open up your eyes and you see you're safely with him in paradise. You're going to say, I love you. No, I really, really love you. You with me? Come on now. And last thing I want to point out this morning, just as we come, a few words to close. As brief as the verses are as well. We're going to see the truth that God's salvation is at is a work of his sovereign grace. And that's really going to carry over next week, which is going to be the main theme of next week. God's salvation is a work of his sovereign grace. Well, how do we see that here in these last few verses? Well, we see it this way. Many of you may know, if you've been with us, that the book of Genesis is basically made up of 10 chapters. I mean, you know, 
we wrote in their verses and chapters, but they weren't there in the original. What's in the original? Every time a section starts, what, is, what does Moses say? These are the generations of, and then follows. Well, there's, did I say 10? I think there's, uh, yeah, there's 10. There's 10 sections that start that way. So for instance, we already, we already been through the first six. So you'll be glad to know that. We've been through the first six. The generations of the heavens and the earth, the generation of Adam, generations of Noah, Noah's sons, Shem. We just finished Terah. That's Abraham's dad, of which Abraham was the real focus. And now we find one of the shortest, if not the shortest of all, of the these are the generations of, and that's verses 12 to 18. It's incredibly brief, and it's concerning the generations of Ishmael. So basically, it's a footnote even though it's included in the text. And I just want to point out a couple things in closing. First, we need to see something that's really important. Why, does, why is this even brought up with Ishmael, since, since he's not the one through whom God uh, would bless and uh, keep his covenant promises to Abraham? Well, I'll tell you why. You may remember that God already promised two other times in Genesis that he would make Ishmael as well into a great nation. You remember that, some of you? Well, he prophesied that. And he actually said this in chapter 16 of Ishmael. Um, he said, he will turn out to be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And what does our text tell us that happened? Verse 18, his descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur, near the border of Egypt, as you go toward Asher, and what? They lived in hostility toward, toward all their brothers. Why does this matter? I'll tell you why. It's as if God is saying this. Didn't I tell you I would do it? I kept my word, didn't I? But here's the thing, brothers and sisters, and this is what hit me. It hit me during our prayer time. I didn't prepare this. Um, in, the, in the original sermon, and it really hit me. If I would keep my promises, even to those who are not the special object of my sovereign grace and mercy, how much more can you guarantee that every promise I make to you, believer in Christ, I will keep? Powerful. Now, it was a sad and a short epitaph to a son who shared some of the DNA and some of the blood of Abraham, but notice the issue was he didn't share the same faith. Last thing I want to point out is this. The great, one of the great lessons here, and then we'll close in prayer, is that what God is doing in the world, specifically to redeem a people for himself by his sovereign grace and mercy is the thing that has eternal value. It's the thing that matters most in this world. The very opposite of what we find when we look in the world, isn't it? In the world, we want to know, listen, and I'm going to ask you if you care about this. We want to know about the lives of the rich and famous. We want to learn about our sports figure, what, what they're doing, what they're up to. We want to learn about politics, who's in power. 
But what does the Word of God focus on? You, you know what all that stuff is in the Word of God? A footnote. You know where the real action is in terms of the kingdom of God? The church of Jesus Christ. All us messed up, stumbling all over ourselves, trying to love our neighbors ourselves, and having to try again and again to get it right. That's where God is at work. Through his word, through the bread being broken, the wine being poured out, through the fellowship of the saints. Why? Because God is, listen to this, he's bringing people into the kingdom of the son he loves through the gospel of his grace. He's growing them in his grace and he's sending them out with the good news to go and spread that to all of Abraham's physical children. You with me? That's what God is all about. And listen, you want to say, oh, I want to know God better, then you better care about his interests. You better put him first. And you better ask him, as I am doing right now, to make my affections more in line with the things that delight you, delight him. So I hope you'll take these lessons to heart and, and you'll be prepared if you'll be here next week for the real, you know, that was, you know, the combination one, two, well, two's coming. That was just a jab. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for the life and the testament of Father Abraham. We thank you especially that we don't deserve it. There was nothing in us that you saw that was lovely or good or holy. And yet for some reason you set your affection on us in Christ Jesus. Before the foundation of the world, our names were written on your hand. Father, we thank you for your goodness and kindness, even to the wicked. And we thank you that we have the honor and the privilege of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and loving even our enemies to show forth your glory and your goodness. Oh, Father, we pray that more and more our hearts, our lives, our minds, and our thoughts would be lined up with yours. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, who died for our sins, we pray. Amen.